This is a Maybe You Like It production. To find more productions, including podcasts, radio plays, and stage plays, visit www.maybeyoulikeit.co.uk. Maybe you like it, maybe you don't. Welcome to Do Try This at Home. Caleb here, just jumping in before the podcast starts. We recorded season one of this podcast over the last few months before we knew exactly what the show was going to be, or even that it'd be following a, a seasonal format. So things kind of change as the show goes on and also we didn't have any social media accounts when we were recording so if you want to get in contact or if you want to follow us or get any more information about the show follow us on twitter and instagram at do try this pod and we'll have updates on season one and potential future seasons through those accounts right on with the show take it away tom Some films are mediocre, so bad they make you moan We're here to save the cinema, we do try this at home Hello, welcome to another episode of Do Try This At Home The podcast where we try and rewrite films that were underwhelming in their original theatrical release I am your one of your hosts, Caleb Barron And I am joined by my co-host She's a <laughs> oh man. Again. She's a writer. She's an actor. She's a comic. She's a an improv performer. She is a podcaster now. Yeah. She <laughs> is a scholar of film. She's Harrison Gale. That's <laughs> Harrison, me. How are you? I'm I'm doing all right. Yeah. Now that I'm a I can add podcaster to my list of titles, yeah. y'all better watch out. Um, <laughs> But uh, I'm, I'm doing yeah. all right. Uh, for this episode, I'm joined next to me by my dog, my miniature schnauzer, Jorge. Um, who's... Does he have anything to say? No, he's he's uh, more of the uh, strong but silent type. Um, yeah. Actually, not really, because he's like constantly just barking and yelling at everything. <laughs> well, so... I was going to say... Strong but silent type isn't really the ideal for podcasting situation anyway. So. Right, yeah. So he's just like, he's just sitting sitting with me, like licking yeah. his paws, which means he's comfortable because he does that when, when he feels really comfy. Does Jorge like to watch films with you? Yeah. Yeah, he does. Uh, every once in a while, like if like a dog comes on screen, I'll be like, what's up with that? And then it'll be like, oh, it's not a real dog. <laughs> <laughs> some, like, some dogs who are like they see a dog on screen and nothing you can yeah. tell them could convince them that it's not a real dog in the room with them he's learned <laughs> he's learned that like uh, it, that just because he's looking at the image of a dog doesn't mean that the dog is there <laughs> my my dog is a, a labradoodle and she likes to come Ooh. and sit on the sofa with me but she'll like to come up and sit on the sofa and then just like lean back until like her back is on the back of the sofa and she sat like upright like a human being with like her two arms <laughs> her two like front paws just like in front of her like arms and watch um you know whatever i'm watching i love that with me it's, it's I'll, i'm gonna find a picture of it somewhere and i'll, I'll send it to you and then Maybe we'll decide about putting it out on whatever right social now, media channels open. we have at that point. Yeah, right now it's it's for your host's eyes only. But yeah. we might make it we might make it unexclusive at some point. One one day, if there is enough demand yeah. from the fans. <laughs> so it's on you guys. You have to you have to tell us that you want it. Yeah. And then we'll give you the dog content. Actually I'll I'll give unsolicited content of Jorge. 
Okay. That's, that's wow. fine. Okay, wow. But then, like, right. if you if you contribute to our Patreon, then you get more dogs. <laughs> we don't ha- we don't have a Patreon right now. But I mean, but if you but if you can say? find a way of contributing to it, yeah. then you can have pictures or, of our or dogs. Or you could just Venmo me. Yeah, <laughs> it's fine. Uh, okay, we should. Anyway. I mean, talking about dogs is fun, but. Well, um, probably more fun than what we're about to talk about. Oh, yeah. But we're we are doing we are a film podcast, yeah. um, and we are here to rewrite a film that was disappointing when to it was first released, police. and it's still disappointing to be. Yeah, it's still disappointing now. Um, it's amazing the staying power of how disappointing <laughs> this film is. <laughs> so, um, you want you want to tell them? <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to try my best to tell him because it's, it's so darn slow that I like when I was watching it, I would like forget plot elements because it was so long <laughs> since I had last heard of like the, the most recent relevant event to that plot line. But basically, yeah, yeah. so today we're talking about um, uh, the Zack Snyder flick uh, Man of Steel from 2013. Uh, which, if I'm not mistaken, is the yeah, it's the first installment in the the DC extended universe. Uh, it is also also known as the poor man's Marvel cinematic universe. <laughs> I'll say we're it. Gonna get, um, yeah, I was gonna say we're gonna get letters, but we won't because people won't care. Yeah, about us, <laughs> but <laughs> um, but uh, and uh, so it's Man of Steel. Essentially, the origin story of Superman, who has been yeah on film. Many times before, um, when this came out, I think the most recent like adap- film adaptation of Superman was Superman Returns, which is... Yeah, that was like 2005? Yeah, more or less, um, like maybe 2007 or something, but um, yeah. with... Um, who who was Superman in that, I think? Oh, oh, who was Superman in that? Um, oh, it's it 2006. Up. There you are. Oh, okay, uh, yeah, right in the middle. Um it was Brandon Ruth who Brandon then Ruth. returned yes. for the Crisis on Infinite Earths uh, that they did with CW. Mm. 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 If anyone, I've never seen any of those shows, <laughs> so I don't know why I brought it up. In the audience today, <laughs> <laughs> you know they're large yeah. fandom. No, I mean they're they're. I mean it's it's gotten bigger. Um, it's it, to me yeah. CW is like a very specific brand of like. Um, pop pop culture inspired spinoffs, but yeah, um, that was the last adaptation of the Superman story before Man of Steel. They've rebooted yeah. it with how do you how do you pronounce this dude's last name? Henry Cavill, 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 I, yeah. Cavill. Okay, I've been saying yeah. it right then. All of my friends you have been know, saying it wrong. <laughs> you know, he's been gaslighting from, uh... me. <laughs> you know, he's from Jersey, like like the Jersey one the the small island the original jersey yeah yeah wow neat there's not, a really not, funny not my jersey which is new jersey, jersey <laughs> there's 2. a really 0. funny photo of my friend <laughs> oh maybe i'll bleep that yeah <laughs> <laughs> a photo of my friend <laughs> <laughs> there's a really funny photo of one of my friends who lives on jersey uh, uh, uh he's about the age of 13 just after henry cavill was cast as superman and basically he like flew back to jersey and did like a meet and greet with every young person on jersey oh, and there's this really funny photo of my friend really very like chubby faced like 13 <laughs> year old boy with like this huge henry cavill <laughs> uh 
um, yes, just King. like smiling away. Yeah, <laughs> he is. He is massive. Anyway, I will get yeah, into it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think. Listen, yeah, we'll we'll get into we'll get into that. But anyway, um, so yeah, it's it's pretty much this film is just uh the origin story um of Superman for this ex this the plan of the extended cinematic universe of DC Comics. Um, yeah, but it also has the the plot line of the um the the sort of main villains, which is General Zod and his followers coming from Krypton to take over Earth. That was, correct me if I'm wrong, it was like Superman 3 of the Christopher Reeve versions used that, or, Chris, or Superman 2? I believe it is a plot, yeah, that's borrowed from an older Superman yeah. film. Um, and obviously the comics, because, yeah. you know, all of this stuff is is based in that source material as well. Right. Yeah, I'm trying to remember which one it was, but... What you, what you were saying about like if you could even remember the film to like <laughs> to describe yeah. the plot i mean you're right it is just the origin story really i think maybe the best approach for this episode is to take our, our, ourselves through the plot and kind of piece together the different threads and then work out which bits we want to keep and which bits we don't right and and then kind of work on it that way so i think we don't need to like cover the plot in full right now because we'll kind of go through it as we do no and, um, it's, and it's very long and winding and yeah more or less convoluted so it's like yeah the the runtime is about two hours 23 minutes something like that already first um, strike like <laughs> you've already lost the trouble well this is the thing the trouble with a runtime like that is you need a film that promises an epic story oh yeah so like, you know, like Avengers Endgame had a runtime of like, what, three hours? I mean, obviously this can't be compared because that's like the end of like 23 films, you know, a series of 23 films. But like, you need to be promising something epic if that's the runtime you're going for. And this film does not promise any of that. It's what? an origin story. Yep. Like, can you imagine if they come out the bat like Marvel, like with Iron Man at running at 140 minutes? Like, it's yeah. just ridiculous no, no as an one idea. No put up with that. I, this has the same runtime pretty much as... No, actually, this might have a, a longer runtime than Avengers, which came out, first of all, which came out the year before. Right. Like, which is kind of ridiculous. Like, when you... Because, you know, people that have defended this film, they say, oh, well, you know, it's back, like, when comic book movies, like, weren't... Su there wasn't such, like, an obvious, uh, like, way of doing these things. Yeah, no... Um, because like the MCU hadn't got fully started yet, they'd already done a team yeah. up movie. So so they had pretty much yeah they yeah. they had completed phase one of that building yeah. up that universe. So there was to a degree already a blueprint for yeah or at least a basic scaffolding upon which DC could have borrowed elements in order to make their cinematic universe work. Um, yeah. And with this, they kind of threw a lot of that out out the window. Like this, yeah. this feels like, I mean, it feels like a like a like a pre, uh, two thousand two Sam Raimi Spider Man because even yeah. like even Sam Raimi Spider Man as a standalone film, like I, I think is very, um, economic and effective at just establishing mm. the origin story of the character. Um, while making the story compelling without it even necessarily needing to be this epic story right off the bat because yeah. we just need to see how this guy gets started and they're doing it in a way that makes me care about 
the characters. I mean, I think, and this is something uh, that's to be said for any film that, you know, doesn't even need to be a franchise film. Any screenplay that can, you know, screenplays can be about anything. And oftentimes Mm. they are about, like, these short periods in people's lives or just a moment in a person's life. And even though it doesn't, like, you know, within the universe of the story literally take place on such a grand scale, it's the stories are told in a way that makes this moment feel big for the person, regardless Mm. of, you know, whether the world is physically at stake, you know? um, So, or, you know, even, like, I just think of, you know, for example, like, Manchester by the Sea. Like, obviously, it's not the same type of movie, but it's sort of this idea of, like, it's this period in a couple of people's lives that is very specific to them, but it feels huge to us because... Yeah. Their story, the way that the story is arranged makes us care about them and makes us want to see how things will end, how they're going to change. And, you know, it's not like it's not like the Earth's going to be blown up. Like, the stakes don't necessarily have to be that huge all the time. The stakes can just yeah. be, like, you know, relationships with our parents, with other people, uh, coping with grief and loss. And so... Yeah. Um, so I think what this film fails to do for me is to make me care about superman (laughs) in his origin story and any other character in this film as well i think yeah that's exactly the issue is what this film is doing is it's giving us world ending stakes but no personal stakes right and that's the challenge is is you have to draw a line between the general and the specific and, a, you know, like a film like Manchester by the Sea will will be, you know, will be showing you a specific story that draws a line to general themes or general issues that we all understand. Mm-hmm. What this does is it gives you a general threat, like a general Zod. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. um, but it gives us a general threat that is world ending, but it gives us no specific stakes with any of the characters we're following that we should care about. And, right. and so we can't actually connect to it because it's kind of, you know, like the idea of the world, like my, I can't get my head around the concept of the world. Like no one mm-hmm. can. It's so big. There's so much to it. And, and this is a film that like, you know, we have a main character who is like in the third act crossing the whole world to save it. And, but we can't even imagine that as an idea. Right. And, and, and that becomes an issue because but, but, I don't care about him. So I have to care about the world, but the world is too big to care about in in this one, you know, moment, Um, which, yeah, is definitely the big issue with this film. And I think the solution comes, you know, the plot as a whole is is not like there's nothing wrong with it. Like it's very based in like the comic mythology and the law. And it's clear that Zack Snyder cares about that a lot because he gives us 20 minutes of time on krypton to explain it Um, and then he explains it again like i think i count like three other times where it fully explains the whole story right um and you know uh, so he obviously cares a lot about the lore and the mythology and he wants to show us that but beyond that we don't see anything else it's all just like here's the mythos and then here's an ending and now you understand but you don't um, so I think there's not an issue with the story necess- necessarily like as, as a broad plot, but it's sure. about how do we build into that 
a reason to care for any single character that we're watching. Right. Like, at the end, when, like, Superman and Lois Lane kiss in, in Metropolis, why? Why? Absolutely <laughs> bonkers. Like, they've known each other for, like, two like two minutes. Yeah. Like, it's, and, and mostly it's just been her, like, wandering around finding out about a guy that no one even knows anything about. That's kind of the whole point. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, he, like, flies and saves her. We have no, there's no reason why he should care about saving her more than he cares about saving anyone else. Right. Which he doesn't seem to care about saving anyone else. And then for them to kiss, there's no reason for them to be romantically involved in any way at all. No. Except Uh, except that that's just supposed to happen. And that's... Exactly. But that's not good storytelling. No, of course not. It it reminds me of, um, you know, going back and watching it now, it reminds me of the kiss between... um, and we'll cover this on another episode. The <laughs> kiss between, um, oh man, Kylo Ren and Rey oh, yeah. in The Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, yeah. it's yes. like, oh, they have to kiss because it's meant to happen. Yeah. That's how storytelling works. They kiss. No, no, <laughs> no it's not. You've given me no reason to think that that's what's going to happen at the end of this film. Yeah, totally. Yeah, total, totally out of the blue. It, it doesn't feel like it's it's earned it. And also, for yeah. like it's it's weird again with the length that it's trying to it, it feels like it's, I don't even think it's trying to cram that much in because it's it's just slow in its pace Yeah. but yeah. like for you know the first film that you already know from the outset is going to be the first installment in a larger cinematic universe like why mm. spend this much time on this story you know why shoehorn in the romance if you've got future films where you can develop it you know, at a more natural pace. I think part of the problem with that is that the announcement of the DCU came out after this film. Right. And that's why it took three years before they had Batman vs Superman, mm-hmm. which is why, you know, and by the time Batman vs Superman comes out, you've already got to Captain America Civil War. Mm-hmm. And this is part of the problem with the DCU is they took so long to get started. And part of that was putting so much faith into Zack Snyder yeah. and, you know, and letting it, it be like, oh, he's going to kick off this universe over the course of like, 10 years before we even start kicking off the universe which is a ridiculous you know way of running that right. <laughs> like the, the thing kevin feige did well with the mcu is just getting lots of creatives in and having a few people who knew lots about it you know like john favreau to start with and then mm-hmm. the russo brothers later on and then having lots of other people who they bring in to just know a little bit about it like james gunn and, and others like that i i think yeah, that's part of the problem with this film is it's setting up something, but it doesn't even know it's setting up something. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so it crams so much in. But like you say, it also doesn't really because it doesn't take any time. It doesn't actually take any time to set those things up. All it does is it takes time to... I don't even know what it's doing. Like, I, this film is so boring. Like, yeah. what's happening in yeah. this film? I think, uh, yeah, I think part of the problem is that, like, you know, and, and in, in this way, it this is, the, I mean, once you look up this film, it's this is going to seem like a really insulting thing to say about this film. But in many ways, it reminds me of uh, one of my favorite films to watch called Ninja Terminator, which, hear me out, stay with me on this. Um, which is basically just about like this white guy who like is also a ninja and he has to like like defeat this like ninja secret ninja empire that has existed for for years but also like and perhaps most importantly he owns 
his main landline is a is a phone a land a, yeah. a landline that looks like um garfield the cat and when <laughs> when, when the phone's in the receiver his eyes are closed but when he picks up the phone the eyes pop open <laughs> And I and I got one as a gift from from a friend a couple years ago, and it's my prized possession. At any rate, the thing with that movie, <laughs> just available for free on YouTube, by the way. The problem with that movie is that, like, and it is also per, like half purposely constructed in this way. It's like the same three scenes over and over again, just like <laughs> playing in like different ways. Where it's like, yeah, like there will be like scene scene of exposition and threat and then like uh like like long battle scene and then there's like then there's like a subplot with a different character um who who has like a romance plot with like the one woman in the film and it's like this cycle of these three scenes over and over again for like you know a hundred minutes, and yeah, and you're like it's insane that this movie is that long considering that it's just this I'm wa- literally just watching the same thing over and over again, and that's yeah. how it felt watching this one, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, where it's like oh like yeah. exposition and then yeah. uh thing with uh Superman then uh. <laughs> Lois uh, Lane, I guess, and then it just reporting, keeps, yeah. yeah, and then reporting, and, and it then keeps cycling and then the military, between yeah. those three things. And, and this is exactly it, right? Is that like Snyder doesn't seem to know how to tell us this story, which is yes. an issue. Like, I mean, we've only this is our fourth episode, and yet this is the this is the big issue that we get every, every single time. episode. And it's like there are kind of four threads to this story, right? There is the general zod and following him and understanding him as a villain which is we get that as 20 minutes at the beginning and then 20 minutes you know just before the climax of the second act and that's it then you have following you know our our sort of like you know hipster you know off the grid superman <laughs> um off and it's like grid, off the grid and and it's like him just like being, a, I guess he's sort of like a drifter. He's kind of just like going from job to job. He's doing like this and that, and he's helping people out. Um, although he seems to barely help anyone out. But yeah. <laughs> um, there's like four examples in his whole life of helping people out. And Lois Lane's like, oh, wow, this I'm going the around discovering all about this man who helped loads of people out. Anyway, yeah. So it's kind of, we're following Drifter Superman as he slowly discovers who he is and and where he's from and therefore learns that he is, you know, he can be Superman. Then we also have a plot line where we're following Lois Lane. She's a reporter for the Daily Planet and um, she's going around and uh, kind of discovering more and more about this character of Superman who we don't know and she wants to like find out who he is. Then we also have a plot line of the military who are investigating this Kryptonian ship and then uh, they're worried about superman and then they find out the kryptonians are coming down and then they have to try and help stop the kryptonians from destroying the world and part of that is working together with superman those are four threads that really barely come together at all at any moment in the film yeah (laughs) they are kind of treated completely separately yeah there's never the reward of seeing how all of those plot lines intersect that in yeah in in well-written high concept films there's like that moment where 
all of the threads have now weaved together or that they've started to come together leading up to this climax and that never really happens. It's just it like what happens is then all of the people happen to be in the same place at the same time, but it's like it's it's not done in a satisfying way. Yeah, the perfect example of how you write that for me at the moment is Stranger Things, especially season 1 and season 3. Season 2 is a bit weaker, but Stranger Things does this great thing of, of we're following about four different threads and each thread is having different revelations about the mysterious stuff going on around um, the town. And then in the last episode or the second to last episode, suddenly all of those threads clash together and, uh, you know, the kids are like, oh, you you knew this thing. And the police are like, oh, you knew this thing. And then, you know, someone else is like, oh, you knew this thing. And, and suddenly we see all of these different threads of ideas and plot and character and narrative suddenly clash together and we're like oh this all makes sense all of a sudden and that's what this film is missing either you need to drop like two of those threads or th- or three of them and just follow one or we need to find a satisfying way for them all to kind of converge at you know that just pre third act climactic moment right <laughs> which you yeah. want to do <laughs> i i mean for me the the obvious thing for me is I don't like the military thread. I don't find it interesting. No. I don't think it's of any value to the story. I don't think any of those characters bring anything. And I think also it puts us in a position where (laughs) the way to save the world in the third act is for the American Air Force to drop a bomb. (laughs) Like that's that's the solution to this whole... You know what? Oh, the only way we can be safe. This this is crazy. What I've done, I've got this old thing. We're going to strap it to your plane like a bomb and then you're going to drop a bomb. The American military are going to go into a civilian area mm-hmm. and drop a bomb and that will save the world. How? I mean, it it kind of is no surprise that Christopher Nolan wrote the story for this. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I like Nolan's films. I think he's a very competent director. But also, but the, uh, the idea that the only solution would be the institution uh right working with the superhero and dropping a big bomb is very nolan yeah (laughs) and 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 also just like and dropped by a force that is as imperialist as the american military which can't keep its nose out of anything (laughs) yeah like just like yeah american military right like this is (laughs) this is like this is this is propaganda is yeah to an extent. yeah no it is and it's crazy because the film is about a really bad military guy who's into eugenics and genocide right and you know trying to completely like level uh you know the world and like take over with his race and then the solution is the american military because yep. <laughs> they've got because nice. their cleans couldn't their cleans couldn't be handed their hands couldn't be cleaner like that's yep. <laughs> Yeah, this movie oh, is like man. in a universe where the American military has never done anything wrong ever. Yeah, and like this is the first time they dropped a bomb. Like right, yeah, like on a on a civilian area, <laughs> oh, like my <laughs> word. World War like... II, and it's just like, uh, <laughs> oh. uh, I... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but this is the thing, right? I think a big solution would be to cut that thread out. Have that have there been no real like military involvement in the film at all, um, and find a, a creative solution to the third act that Superman himself carries out, p- 
perhaps with the help of Lois Lane, rather than have Lois Lane be explained right. how to solve the film by Russell Crowe. And then she <laughs> then explains that to Superman. And then that's how he solves the film. Like, again, like what a blunder. Like why, you know, either have Russell Crowe explain it to Superman. I should, Jor-El is his character. Um, either <laughs> have Jor-El like- Canonically Russell Crowe. <laughs> Russell Crowe. <laughs> like either have, like have him explain it to Superman directly or do something with Lois Lane. Like, actually right. use her in the solution to the third act rather than her just be someone to fall out of a plane and be saved by superman why was she even in that I, plane you know I what i don't mean like no yeah uh, like right now this this film for lois is not passing the leg lamp test yeah like if it's you, not passing any test it's not passing any test but especially the leg lamp test like you could yeah. replace lois lane with a sexy leg lamp and it the plot would be the same <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. Um, the, and the thing is, though, is there's there's multiple characters. You know what? I think there's multiple like, leg lamps. Jonathan, Jonathan and Martha Kent are leg lamps in this film. Yeah. Superman learns nothing from his parents. Which is insane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, no, it is. It is ridiculous. And and the thing, I don't know. I think maybe we're, I mean, we're really far in to be doing this. I think maybe, okay, we, we're saying we're cutting the military thread. Yeah. I think maybe we start from the top and we just work our way through and try and figure out a way of kind of making this happen. Yeah. I I think one thought, I don't mind, okay, I don't mind the Krypton stuff. It's too long, but I do have a kind of solution to make the Krypton prologue, if we can call it a prologue, mm. make sense and be more interesting. Um, All right, hit me I with think, it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit you with it. You Are you ready? <laughs> okay, listeners, Caleb is about to do it to him. <laughs> um so we tell the first first of all don't make it 20 minutes long make it like 10 minutes yeah please and we tell it from the perspective of general zod Hmm. and rather than him performing a coup instead he is working for the kryptonian government and basically we open on he's told like you know jor-el is up to some like shenanigans and he's like, and also make it so that you him and Jor-El him. have been friends. Yes. Right? And he's like, what? Nah, my best bud Jor-El's up to shenanigans. Nah, that's bad. Then basically, the whole thing is General Zod chasing Jor-El to get to the Codex. And he gets there just as the Codex is put into Superman and he's too late. And so that you make this like a really like fast-paced, interesting, exciting, and please visually more like you know, something more than just what Krypton was in this film. Right. And and it's it's General Zod taking us through Krypton as he's like on a chase to get Jor-El to stop the codex from being uploaded into Superman mm-hmm. like it is, right? And, and he gets there, it's too late. And and then suddenly, and, and what we have is we have Jor-El explain to General Zod like, oh, this is what's got to happen. Um, it, you know, he can't stay here. We've got to send him into space because that's how we as a civilization are going to survive. And what we have is, we feel for General Zod, who is going to be our villain later on. Um, we don't really, you know, we also, we don't get Jor-El to be this perfect person, but actually he himself is kind of a eugenicist. He's like, I'm going to send right, out yeah. this codex mm-hmm. and they're going to save our race by taking over whatever planet they land on. Then, you know, then later on when Zod shows up again, what's happened is that the transformation he's been through 
so we find out later that he's been through to all, all of these old colonial outposts of the the Kryptons and found everyone's dead. And what we can have is he's been to all of these different outposts, and what he's discovered is Jor-El was right, and we need to take over another planet. Right. And he's come to Earth to take over the planet because he himself believed it, believed in the institution, discovered it was wrong, it was mistaken, and therefore found that the only solution was one that included death and carnage, and and that was initially Jor-El's plan. And yeah. I think that that makes him a much more compelling villain. And I think it also gives us something to follow for the first 10 minutes of the film that makes sense. Yeah, because uh, and I, I, think that's a, I think that's a good solution to the Zod problem because in this yeah. version, he's just like, like, like a homicidal maniac. Or like yeah, really, yeah. He's really just a genocidal maniac. Yeah, and, he is, he is. And, you know, there are people like that in history, but what, if we're talking about like making a compelling story for a blockbuster film because it's not real mm. life, like... It's a more interesting story if we, to a degree, can understand what his motivations behind um, his, you know, his mission to call like recolonize Earth and destroy is already there. Um, yeah. Like you know, because otherwise it's just like like because and then that's the thing too. Like the, some of these characters are just too powerful as they are. Like mm. so, like they say that that Zod and his people have terraforming tools so i'm like well then why not just find a different planet yeah and and terraform it or like you know even you know mars or something like why does it have to be earth and why do you have to kill everyone who's already here and also they're terraforming it to krypton a planet in which they are weaker than when they are on earth yeah that to me, it doesn't make sense. They arrive on this planet, the sun gives them energy, the atmosphere makes them stronger. Why not stay on a planet that is like that? Right, yeah. Why make it worse? <laughs> like, Krypton looks like the worst, Yeah. It, right? Yeah. Instead, it should be, yeah, like, Zod's like, oh, we found this new planet, we know it's inhabitable, in fact, it makes us stronger, it makes us better. Right. We're gonna go there and take it for our own, and, and we'll build a new Krypton, and it will be this, like, haven. But it's not terraforming, it's just, like, this is going to be our planet and we're going to kill all the humans because they're in the way. Mm-hmm. And that's more interesting. And I th- and I just the, the fact that we get any of his perspectives is more interesting. I mean, Michael Shannon is a great actor. Yeah. Like, he deserves more than one dimension to mm-hmm. his character. I mean, I think he does um, a nice job with what he's given, but he's given oh, so definitely. little that not even his performance can save that character. Yeah, and, and the reason, like, I wanted to do something with Zod is because he is compelling in this, even though he has nothing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the other thing as well, like, the, just the other change that would be made is instead of them being prisoners in the Phantom Zone, uh, in their, like, penis-shaped pods... <laughs> Oh, the phallic um, pods. Yeah. <laughs> Rather than that, um, you, you just make it where, like, he watches the institution he was a part of crumble around him um, after the Codex is gone. And then he watches Krypton fall apart and, and be destroyed. And then that's when he escapes with his followers to go and find the old colonies. And that makes more sense as well. Like, why make it... I don't understand the value in having him have been, like, you know, someone who led a military coup. I don't right. understand what that adds to his character or to any of this story. Yeah. I mean, it, it just makes him completely unhinged. Yeah. He goes from, like, yeah. evil genius to just, like, complete nutcase. Yeah. 
and you don't yeah. there's absolutely no room for sympathy at all or understanding yeah. where he's coming from exactly which makes it yeah. not work or makes him not compelling as a villain yeah i think next having gone from krypton back to earth my solution to the the sort of problem of the next hour and a half of the film <laughs> would be first of all that we we cut the military thread as we talked about but then that we follow Lois Lane first mm-hmm. and and we do at this point we do some kind of non-linear storytelling where Lois Lane she's not going after this Kryptonian ship or anything like that what she's doing is she's heard about this super man this this guy who can do <laughs> super, super stuff and she's a you know she's a Pulitzer Prize winning writer she's you know she's a great journalist and she thinks this is my next story this is what's gonna like get my name out there again or maybe make it that she hasn't even won a Pulitzer Prize yet and this is her Pulitzer Prize thing that she's going for like give her ambition because right again yeah. we're given in in this line of dialogue first of all this line of dialogue that Lois Lane herself says to her editor I am a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist <laughs> yeah <laughs> which is like the clunkiest exposition possible um yeah. why not make it that like you know she this is the thing you know this is the thing she's going to be it's going to be the next step in her career this is going to get her the, the that final award or that final like coveted position that she wants and what it is is it's following the story of this guy who seems to be able to do superhuman things to save others mm-hmm. so we have this kind of like almost like noir-esque uh journalist story or even like do it like um you know similar to like spotlight where they're like following these different threads of a story yeah it can i mean it's obviously very different um that was probably a bad comparison to be well no i mean i think i think you're onto something here of like you know hearkening back to um you know like even like those screwball comedies of the 40s where there's like you know uh a happening whip smart uh you know, woman working in a male-dominated field, which is was yeah. often journalism, who is trying to make a name for herself, trying to get herself taken seriously by her colleagues. And it's like, you know what? Like, you know, nobody takes her seriously. And she's like, I'll show you. Mm. I'm going to, you know, crack this case wide open. Um, yeah. and, and also, you know, because Superman comes from, you know, golden age of comics in like the forties. Yeah. So it makes perfect sense that like, not necessarily just like stylistically, but in, in terms of that character archetype, that there would be sort of a reference to that, to her, to her real origin. This thing. And, and Snyder seems to kind of be getting at that a little bit, but he just, uh, he only ever gives us about four minutes in a runtime of two hours, 40 that actually right. shows us her going out and finding the story. What I'd much rather see is okay we've had like this little prologue in krypton and then we have maybe maybe even up to like 45 minutes or an hour of lois lane going and discovering these different stories from different people and whilst we're hearing these stories you can then cut back in a non-linear way to seeing this drifter superman go through all of these different uh places and different uh, you know anecdotes we we see this story told about him and we don't quite know who he is yet but as we hear more stories we learn more and more about him and you know the, the beauty of cinema is someone can be telling a story about superman and we can be seeing it mm-hmm. and and 
again, like it doesn't feel like he ever makes the most of the you know, Zack Snyder ever makes the most of the visual medium because we, right. you know, you have this opportunity to see a journalist go around and you can have like the guy in the IHOP be like, oh, when I was a kid, this other kid uh, saved our bus. And as it's doing that, we can then see that happen. And first of all, that cuts your runtime in half because we don't need to see it and then be told about it later. But also it makes that more interesting because each of the stories, we can have Superman all played by Henry Cavill, but characterized differently in each story according to how that person felt about Superman in it. So in one, he can be that nerdy kid who somehow managed to pull a bus out of the river. Mm -hmm. In another, he can be that weirdo quiet guy on the boat who just went and like held up an oil rig. In another, he could be this like, you know, almost like this like over the top romantic lead who like comes in and saves someone in distress. And they're like, they're like, oh, wow, like this is this person's incredible. They're, you know, beyond my imagination in, in how, you know, and you can even do like you can do that visually, like give us bright colors in that moment. Right. You know, have him like framed by the, the sun and like this great figure. And then you can have like these stories where it's like, Oh, the, you know, the one of the guy in the bar and then he like destroys that guy's truck. Right. And you can have that guy's like, oh, yeah, this guy like messed up my truck. Yeah, this, and, like, yeah you know, weirdo. exactly. And and you can have him framed as almost a villain or like that his godlike powers are an issue. Right. Um, And by telling all of these stories, we begin to piece together who Superman is before we finally meet him when Lois Lane tracks him down to Kansas, to Martha Kent. Yeah. And then we can meet him at that moment. Um, and even we can have heard the story of how Jonathan Kent died from someone else. Yeah. You know, maybe that's how she finds the Kents. Is is someone is like, oh, I have information on that guy. She meets up with them. They explain the story of Martha and Jonathan adopting this child. And then that child's like gone away and Jonathan Kent's died. Um, and then she goes to them and finally she meets Superman. And And at this point, you know, if Snyder's interested in myth, in legend, mm-hmm. at this point, we have heard him only as legend, right. as myth. And so then it makes the the moment where we see him for the first time that much more powerful. So like, oh, well, now, now we're finally yeah. seeing the image of this larger-than-life character that we've been hearing about. Yeah, and maybe even when she first meets him, they sit down for like an off-the-record interview or something. And, you know, and, and she gets to know who he actually is in that moment. And then that begins to bring in this element of romance that can be grown later in this film or, or in other films right. as well. Because you can have the sparks fly in that first meeting. And that, you know, <laughs> all that requires is them actually having a conversation, yeah. which they don't seem to do <laughs> in this film. Talking to each other would be cool. <laughs> uh, yeah. Know, the other yeah. thing I want to change, I really want to change actually I, I didn't uh, mention this when I was talking about the Kents, but um, like having Jonathan Kent die in an unavoidable disaster, because in the film, what happens is he, <laughs> Superman's yeah. like, I can save the dog in the car. And then Jonathan Kent's like, no, 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 I'm going to save the dog in the car. He runs back, he lets the dog out. And then like, he's like hurt his leg. And then Superman's like, about to like run yeah. after him you see him like poised ready to go and then Jonathan Kent just like holds his arm out and just like shakes his head and then just gets sucked into yeah. a tornado and it's like what like can you imagine being someone in that crowd and seeing that play out just like huh like he just he, you know he, even if he was a normal human being he probably had a bit of time to run back to him at oh, that yeah. moment 
Like, oh man, and like, it annoys yeah, me and so it's not much. Like, it's not even like there. It was. It was a situation where he didn't have to use his superpowers to save him. Like maybe he could have, you, <laughs> you know, just like pushed his his jog a little bit, maybe or yeah, something. Yeah, you know, just like doesn't have to go all out, but it's like like yeah. you know, beef up the the speed or something a little bit. Yeah, it was just it's such a strangely constructed moment and it's so contrived and then like you know and and then like because the lesson that he's supposed to be teaching him is that like you know you have to hide your powers because otherwise what you can like when people find out what you can do they're gonna try to hurt you or people you know or, or whatever the case might be and then but then like then we hear all of these stories of you know, Superman using his powers. So the the yeah, lesson that yeah. he's supposed to learn from that event is he doesn't live by it. Like, yeah. Like I would even say, like I would even say, like ha- maybe maybe have all of those uh, stories that we hear about him. You know, may- like you know, it's it's a it's an adaptation of the comic, so you can play around with it a little bit. I'd even say, like yeah. maybe he like he has some incident when he's a teenager that makes him want to you know run away from home and while he's drifting all of these things happen then eventually he comes back and you know then some incident that is a little bit more uh you know well constructed than what currently happens you know then then we have jonathan kent's death and you know then it's at that point where he's like oh well now i'm not going to use my powers at all um because okay here's my suggestion because I, I don't mind that Jonathan Kent tells him not to use his powers. I mean, he needs a better reason. Yeah. Maybe it's like, you know, literally the government will dissect you or right. something. Yeah. Um, but like what what I kind of like the idea of is is if all the time growing up, Jonathan Kent's like, you can't use your powers. You've got to hide. You can't use your powers. And then he dies of something that Superman couldn't have prevented, e.g. like cancer. Uh-huh. And because Superman's restrained himself from using his powers, you know, he wouldn't have like seen it with his x-ray vision or anything like that because he's like stopping himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and he dies and Superman realizes, oh, there's some people that I'm not going to be able to save. So I might as well try and save as many people as I can. Okay. Yeah, that's an alternative. I, I mean, either of those works, but it's making more of Jonathan Kent's death is the, is the key thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, yeah, I, I think it also depends on like what it is that we you ultimately want like Lois Lane's investigation to want to accomplish. Like once she finds out who he is, yeah. is her goal like if if once she finds out who he is and what he can do, if her goal is to then be like, well, we have to you know we have to tell the world about this because like you can you can save all of these people, then I would say like then make Clark not want to use his powers, so then you have yeah. a conflict. But then yeah. if you know, but then if it's like, you know, if her goal is, is, you know, not opposite, not the opposite of that, but is like, uh, you know, like you, you having those powers is, is dangerous. And that's why we need yeah. to tell the world. Then Clark should be like, you know, no, I have to help everyone I can. Yeah. So yeah. you just want to, you just want to have, it doesn't matter. I, you know, it matters less which of those avenues you take, but yeah. just to, to take one and to to give them each 
motivations that conflict yeah. with each other. Or, or even perhaps a compromise is, is that when Superman decides to use his powers, he still decides to use them in secret because of what Jonathan Kent told him. Right. And Lois Lane's like, you've got to take this public because doing it in secret, you can only save so many people. Mm. Um, and when, but if people know, you can be on hand to help people. Right. And and that's the conflict. So yeah, like you say, there's like a few different threads there, but in some ways we don't need to choose one because I don't think any of them make a difference to what the kind of third act of the film will be. Yeah. It's just, it's just about making something of the discovery of who Superman is. We actually get to know him this way. We get to know Lois Lane this way. Mm -hmm. And also making far more of Jonathan Kent's death because in this film, it's just nonsense. Yeah. It's just completely worthless. Yeah. Um, so I think it's at this point in in our rewrite that Superman would then go and find the Fortress of Solitude. Right. And I think maybe that can happen in, he has this conversation with Lois Lane. She's trying to push him to go public. He doesn't want to go public. Uh, he gets mad and he flies off. Well, he doesn't know how to fly at this point. Or he can know how to fly at this point. It doesn't matter because it, who cares? Right. Um, but but at this point, he he then decides to go and sort of because he's done enough drifting or whatever, he's going to go and like he's find... He's done enough drifting. Yeah, he's going to go and like find out about who he is. And you can either do that where like he's already seen this news report about a crashed ship or a discovered ship in the Arctic. Or you can do it where like, you know, maybe he already knows about the Fortress of Solitude, but he's decided not to go there before because he doesn't want to. Um, something like that. Because I, again, I don't, I think it's interesting this moment of him discovering his biological parents and what that means but that's not interesting if we don't actually build like a real connection between him and his adoptive parents mm -hmm. which we haven't done before this point right yeah <laughs> so then we go then we go for just the trouble with the fortune of solitude is it's so boring mm -hmm. but i think and again you know, it's just it's just exposition part two and like yeah it, like I, maybe I, I think... he doesn't even go there then I mean, yeah, I I would say either he doesn't go there if you if you want to keep the prologue the way it is, or cut the prologue and sort of move it into when he goes to the Fortress of Solitude because right now it's just yeah. like, you know, <laughs> it's just AI Russell Crowe like explaining <laughs> the same thing that we just yeah. saw like in you know yeah. forty minutes ago again, but. You know, I would say like you either have to keep one or the other because both of them serve the same expositional purpose. Yeah, I do kind of think if the prologue is told in a a lot quicker and entirely from General Zod's perspective, mm -hmm. um, and also it, it all it does is it only goes up to General Zod, not just like discovering that the Codex has already been sent off, and then Jor El pieces together the rest of the story of like the institution crumbling. Krypton falling apart and Zod's kind of fall from grace, the that that's filled in there, and so instead of it's giving us you know more exposition, it's and sorry instead of giving us the same exposition, it's just giving us a continuation of that story before we meet Zod again, but this time told from a different perspective, Jor El's perspective, right? Rather than that it's Zod. that it's new, it's new information. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and, and that would make it slightly more interesting. Also, just make it shorter. Yeah, just make it shorter. This is the weird thing. It is Zack Snyder, like, he he knows how to use visual shortcuts because he uses them at all the wrong times. <laughs> <laughs> like, he decides to, like, Don't you know spend, how to do this? <laughs> like, he decides, well, like, he decides to spend, like, 20 minutes showing us Krypton and, like, 
doing this weird like like the film opens with like you know uh laura his mom like giving birth to superman and then and then it cuts to like this wide angle shot of krypton and this like animal alien thing like rears its head and like roars and i'm like i i honestly was like am i watching the lion king like yeah. <laughs> it, yeah, it's like, like what is like, going on why do we need to see first of all why do we need to know that superman is a natural birth but also why do we need to see that he's a natural birth right because you're just gonna say it again a hundred times later exactly like i hate that can you imagine like you've never met your biological parents ever and you finally meet like an ai one and the first thing he (laughs) says to you is you were the first natural birth in centuries like (laughs) like like Jorel, who seems to be like this this brilliant programmer and engineer, yeah. and he's like, "This my <laughs> child is gonna find this AI someday <laughs> and interact with it, and I will have a chance to tell my child like anything." And he's yeah. like, "Yeah, before yeah. I even say hello, I'm like, uh, you were an actor, <laughs> <laughs> you were an actor birth in the first uh... century. Like what?" <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's not even like you know if you're if you're hearing this, you know you've survived, and I'm so proud of you. Like nothing. Nothing. Can you imagine? <laughs> like, can like, you imagine if it's... you need to know is that your parents bone. Can, can you imagine if it's if you're hearing this, then you've survived, and also me and your mum bone. Oh, wow! Bad. Like, yeah, bad. That's, that's bad filmmaking. It's, it's not into it, like it that's just not yeah. normal. Anyway, so <laughs> you know, I just whilst we're talking about that, then I just thought maybe even like the Fortress of Solitude can be the ship that he came in, and yeah. it's after that conversation with Lois we get this tender moment between Martha Kent and Superman where she says, "Look, I'm gonna show you the ship you arrived in." Yes, and and that's something he's never seen before. And and then again, that builds us a relationship between uh, Superman and and Martha Kent, which we don't get in this film really. Yeah, and 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 that moment would be, I think, it could potentially be a really beautiful, um, yeah, uh, intersection between these two sides of himself. Because in in and I think there's a lost opportunity here of setting up the story of Clark Kent as this third culture kid because yeah. he you know knows that he has a past from uh, some other world that you know he's the only one left of and he can't connect with anybody about it he knows very little about it and then he has the world that he grew up in which is the one that he was raised in by his parents and he's mm. you know and there's a conflict between the two of like wanting to feel like you belong but also wanting to know where you come from and uh you know what what culture you know your your parents were from and yeah it, it would have been a, like yeah having the moment of yeah something like you know martha's like i'm going to show you the ship that that you arrived in or something like that or you know like i'll show you how to get to the you know fortress of solitude whatever it's this intersection mm. of like she is and maybe that's her internal conflict that you know she wants yeah. Clark to find you know wholeness in learning about this side of himself but is worried that she's going to lose him as she knows him and in a sense she will because now this is his moment of like you know going off to just be who he's going to be and and her having to have that moment of like you know it's it's selfish of me to keep this from him so i'm going to act as 
the the key to open that door to that side of himself exactly and also to add another layer to that like a realization that she already had lost him because he'd been drifting about the you know america for you know however many years you know the implication is it it could be up to like a decade right because when he comes back he's 33 like you know so she can realize like i've already lost him by not showing him this so Mm -hmm. this is the moment where i should yeah i think so and i think that again it's building stakes into all of these relationships it's it's making us care about these people mm-hmm. uh, but also about the way that they interact with each other which in this film as you know as it stands they none of them interact with each other in the way that normal human beings would no ever <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so weird yeah um and and yeah it just feels like <laughs> I don't know. Like, I honestly just think, like, sometimes with, like, these big Hollywood blockbusters, like, did they not just, like, hand it to, like, just hand it to, like, a regular person? And just, <laughs> just be like anyone to read. Yeah. Like, have you ever heard anyone have a conversation this way? Because it's clear that Zack Snyder has no idea how, you know, how to an extent, like, how normal people just talk to each other. No. And it's like, just not. give, just let, just, like, just let have, like, anyone just have, like, a quick pass, like, just a glance at the scripts just to see. <laughs> Um, and I, you know, I don't want to rag on him too much. Like Zack Snyder has, no, I think you should. Some of this is interesting. (laughs) No, I think you should because, you know, because for, for so long, I don't know why, but he's just been like, you know, held up as this, this paragon of, you know, the superhero genre filmmaking. And just, I don't, I've never seen a movie of his that I was like, this was well-written or like, this was well directed or this was quality (laughs) filming i've never been wowed the only one that comes to me and i don't understand the only thing that comes to me is um is watchman simply because he sticks to the story quite a lot Mm -hmm. and it's a good story that's the only one and even and even then that's another that's another movie that tries to cram you know 12 very plot heavy high concept yeah comic book chapters or graphic novel chapters into one movie yeah and it's the same problem where you're doing trying to do too much in one film and then still not saying anything (laughs) yeah yeah um okay well okay so we've done you know he's he's discovered all this um and, and well we've discovered him through lois and then he's discovered all of this, you know, having had that tender moment with his mom. I think that that's a, a much more in- interesting introduction to him. And let's say we're like 45 minutes into the film at this point, maybe like pushing 50 or 55 mm-hmm. with the prologue on the top. Um, you know, that's we're a good length into this film to like have learned the mythos, learned the lore, learned who these characters are to now put them in jeopardy. Right. And this is where Zod can arrive. Yes. And... We don't have all of this military nonsense, which I don't care about and is uninteresting. It's just like you can have it on the news, on the TV. There's all these big alien ships. And then we have him put out this message. Zod put out this message to all the TV screens in the world being like, like Kal-El, we, you know, we want you kind of thing. And, and I think that's a good way for a, a, a villain to introduce himself. Um, I think for 2013 as well, like. It, it, it was like making use of the place we were getting to with digital technology. Mm-hmm. I think that 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 in and of itself, like that use of screens, that introduction of villains through screens has become a bit of a trope. I mean, you see it in Spider-Man film, yeah. the most recent Spider-Man film. And um, it was used in Sherlock as well a few years after this. Like 
you know, creds to Snyder, like that's decent, that's fine. Let's keep that. Um, but then this again, this is I, w- I want to say this is where the film fell apart, but it had already fallen apart way before this. <laughs> but this is where the yeah. film really begins to like fall apart because this is where all of the threads should be converging, but none of them seem to actually click into place. Nope. Um, which is an issue. So we have the yeah, we have the the introduction of Zod on Earth. I I think. Well, I mean, I have written down here like, why does Zod want Lois? <laughs> exactly. Like, why? I, I think what should happen is Superman, Martha Kent persuades Superman not to give himself up, um, and but but the Kryptonians, um, you know, read about you know what Lois Lane's been putting online or whatever about Superman, and so they come for her to get information about where he is. Yeah, that that makes more sense to me. Because, well, okay, one of the things I really like about this film, one of the set pieces that I think, oh, this really works, is the escape of Lois from the Kryptonian ship, um, directed by Jor El, mm-hmm. and it shows Jor El as like this, you know, engineer who's like really smart and has like built in these fail safes into the technology so that if they're used wrong, he can control it. Still, I think that's great, um, and I think it's a moment where we see Lois Lane. You, you can put her through this this moment of growth where it's like, oh, no longer am I a journalist. Suddenly I'm in this situation where I'm fighting like these um, beings from outer space. And it's and and once you push her through that moment, the next time she comes across them, she herself can do something without the, the need for Jor-El to be there to guide her, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I, I don't mind that as a moment of growth for the character and also like quite a fun set piece. I enjoyed that as a moment in the film. It wasn't, dull like the rest of it for me mm-hmm. i don't know what you think <laughs> i mean oh uh, i don't know I, I i'm still on i'm still conflicted about like the whole device of like ai Jor-El and like yeah you know, i don't i don't yeah. know but i guess if you're you know if you're trying to you know keep it as similar to the original version as possible you know, I think it. I think it could work. I do think that, yeah, I do think that Lois needs a moment where she like is given agency, you know, and then she's doing yeah. something other than just like investigating. Um, yeah, and- I mean, even if in in this moment it was like Jor-El, it begins with Jor-El directing her through the ship. Sure. Um, but then it gets to the point where, like, you know, maybe there's a moment, a, a kind of moment of uh, of. <laughs> comic like levity which we don't get enough yeah. of in this film uh where not like, a single you know, person Jor-El, ever laughs about you know, anything like, exactly like another kryptonian like comes through the door she sorts the kryptonian out before Jorel can even say anything and then she's like it's all right i got it kind of thing yeah and and you can see the growth that she's gone through in the past like two minutes as she's going through the ship like basically defeating superhumans right right i think that's a great moment to add and then you know, then it also kind of makes her being taken as a hostage make more sense because one, they're like, oh, yeah. she's the one who's going to know about how to get to, you know, uh, Superman. <laughs> I don't even know. This dude has so many names. <laughs> I don't even know what to call him anymore. <laughs> he's he's going to, you know, she's going to be the one to know how to how to get to, to, to Kal-El. Um <laughs> and and then also like you know maybe they they've seen like oh and she knows how to use kryptonian technology this girl is dangerous because she's gonna help the humans yeah. use our technology 
to defeat us. So yeah. we got to do something about her. Um, although I don't know why they wouldn't just, well, I guess like after interrogating her, they could just kill her, but I don't know why they don't. <laughs> but anyway. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I guess you could even have like the interrogation is interrupted by something. Maybe Superman has a change of heart and he decides to go after the Kryptonians. Oh no, hang on. Maybe not. Yeah. Um, <laughs> This writing blockbusters is harder yeah, than I thought. Yeah. <laughs> actual, um, actual uh, I mean, clip of Zack Snyder writing this screenplay. <laughs> uh, oh, writing the blockbuster is harder than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was that was from him. That was from his personal memos that I just played yeah. for you. Oh, I that yeah. sounded exactly like. <laughs> That's him exactly well. what he sounds like. Um. <laughs> Um, I, I mean, I, okay, I mean, like, whatever it is. I mean, it can just be that they're halfway through the interrogation and something comes up or General Zod wants to see them. Again, like, I, I think once we've seen General Zod in that prologue, we don't need to see him again until quite close to the final fight. Like, this can all be stuff that's dealt with by the, the lower-level Kryptonians, yeah. you, if that makes sense. And again, it builds anticipation for when General Zod's going to arrive because he's a big, mm-hmm. powerful bad guy. Um Again, it, uh, this film it just never it never holds back on revelation, which just means that every revelation is boring because we've either already right. heard about it or there's been no anticipation yeah. for it. Um, whereas if it was like they did the first round of interrogation by the Kryptonians and then they're like, "We're gonna go get General Zod to finish this up," and it's in that gap that Lois mm-hmm. makes her escape. It builds anticipation for who General Zod is because Lois has no idea what's going on. So then her being like, oh, this General Zod, he sounds like a pretty bad guy. Yeah, um, better get out of here. Exactly, yeah. Um, and, and she can bring that information back to Earth as well. Um, and it, it kind of gives yeah a reason for that moment of escape to happen, that moment of growth to happen. Um, and, and then it puts her back on Earth and she can give actually give the information of what happened to Superman. But like we don't need her... You know, Jor-El was like, I'll tell you how to stop the, the machine and then you tell Superman. We don't need her. Right. We don't need that. Like, it's just this weird Chinese whispers game. It doesn't make sense. Why not just have it where, like, you know, she doesn't even think to tell Superman? Because maybe she doesn't even know if she can trust Superman. Yeah, which would probably make this more sense. If you're a journalist, yeah, like, yeah. you have to be constantly hedging who you can trust, who you can't. You know, you don't take anybody's word for it. Yeah. But but I think from that, you know, the Kryptonians kind of learned that Superman is mm-hmm. in Smallville and that's where right. we're going to get him. And then we that takes us to the Smallville fight, which I, again, the Smallville fight is pretty solid, I think. Um, we're seeing these superhumans, they're all pretty beefed up and the way they fight each other looks pretty visually exciting in the hand-to-hand right. combat that they do for some of it in Smallville. Yeah. <laughs> After that, it's nothing and it's just like i can't follow the action none of this makes sense and again the military involvement in smallville makes it almost unwatchable mm-hmm. because um it's just like oh wait hold on, hold on so we're following superman no hang on now we're following the kryptonians hold, hold on now we're following this helicopter in the air oh hold on, hold on we're following yeah. these troops on the ground and you just like i have no idea what's going on just make it this like really tight really like full-on physical battle hand-to-hand between like two kryptonians and superman and we see that he hasn't got a full handle on his powers but he knows earth mm-hmm. better 
Therefore, he, he can kind of use like the laser vision and stuff like this. Whereas they are at the height of their fighting powers. They're trained soldiers, but they're not quite used to this new atmosphere and the extra abilities right. that gives and them. And I, I even wonder, and I'm wondering your thoughts on this, like if there's a way that, you know, that fight in Smallville can somehow become the climactic battle and and just eliminate yeah yeah and eliminate the battle in metropolis because i mean if just for the sheer uh images of devastating destruction i was like getting depressed watching it because yeah you know it's it's like you know another one of those like bizarre like destructive blockbusters where like you, you you know it's not like all of these buildings are empty like people are in them there's people on the street yeah and you know as as clark and and zod are having their big fight just like destroying everything in this major city which is like you know supposed to be i get the sense it's like it looks analogous to like a new york city you know just destroying yeah. everything yeah. Imagine like the the casualties yeah. from that. Like it's and it's yeah. just seeing those images. Like I think not obviously like, you know, seeing the destruction of this small town in Kansas is like also has its own ramifications, but then it's like, you know, it's this more like it's it well, yeah, it's a more spread out, less densely populated area. You know, it's easier for people to evacuate yeah. places. You know, I'm sure they have um shelters underground shelters for the tornadoes so it like there's it's reasonable that most people would survive a battle that would take place there and then still the same you can still hit the same beats of like you know the trope of the the hero and the villain like talking out their uh thematic conflict as they physically fight and you can have it all happen yeah. there without yeah. having to destroy Metropolis. And and you know while I'm while I'm on this, I just briefly wanted to bring up something that you know we were chatting about before we um, recorded this episode. But it's this like this to me what I find is a very disturbing trend in a lot of um, these kinds of blockbusters that the people have referred to as disaster porn, where it just it's these images yeah. of massive destruction and presumable uh you know casualty and and loss of life that it's i mean this having that kind of event occur in metropolis in the context of this film would be like a 9-11 like that's how many that's how much destruction is happening that is how many people must be dying and like and then by the end of the film Mm. we're just like ah save the day you know superman does it again he's a hero (laughs) how like i don't like how many you, die just yeah, now and, and no one seems to care. Exactly. Yeah, and and the, this is the thing. I I've been thinking about this this trope a lot recently as well. I mean, I I've been watching this series on YouTube called Caravan of Bondage, <laughs> which is great. Was these two um these two podcasters I love who, who kind of like take these films that are bad generally speaking uh, and kind of look at them and they they looked at the the Snyder films um and then now they're looking at the Transformers films and. You know, and what they're constantly talking about is like, oh, so now, you know, we've had basically no plot development or character development. And then we just spend an hour at the end watching like bits of metal hit other right. bits of metal and explosions happen. And it it is just, again, like part of what I, I, I can't draw out of this film is what mm-hmm. is the message? We're told like, oh, Superman, you're going to be 
a symbol of hope. He's told that by both of his dads, mm -hmm. but there's never a moment that he feels like a symbol of hope. And also there's this kind of message through it, which was very like 2013, very stylish at the, at the time that it's like, you know, we just awakening to this idea of like the ecological crisis that is happening on earth. And it's using that as a plot point. Krypton had its chance. What's mm -hmm. earth going to do? And the trouble is, is these are just thrown around as like broad thematic ideas, but, but they're never actually acted upon by the hero and therefore by the film, like the driving force of the film. And, and so having this disaster at the end where the, all of these buildings are collapsing and it's, it is a, an image of tragedy, but we never treat, we never yeah. treat it as tragedy, not until it must be said the prologue of the next film, Batman vs Superman. Um, and th to me, the only value in keeping the, a third act where the city is somewhat destroyed would be to have that prologue. And no, I don't think we should because, um, you know, we talked about, we'll probably go on to do those other films and we'll rewrite based off of the, the kind of decisions we made in these mm -hmm. earlier episodes. Um, but there, there is no value in seeing mm -hmm. that destruction unless you're going to make a point with it. And this right. film does not. And it, you're right. It's become this trope, big blue light in the sky, half a city leveled, no idea how many people die, no idea what that experience is like from the ground. And at the end, the person who was half of that destruction being caused is the hero. Right. That doesn't add up. Um, and and especially in this film. And, and since then, you know, people have asked Zack Snyder, like, oh, how many people died in Metropolis that day? Which obviously he doesn't care. He doesn't have an answer for that. That's not what his job is. But offhand, like I've seen an interview where offhand he's like, Oh yeah, like five thousand people. First of yeah. all, it was definitely definitely would be more than five thousand people. Right. Like that's ridiculous. But also, even if it just was, how can you just say that offhand as yeah, a filmmaker, like, oh, but not have dealt with it in your film? Died. Like, I mean, yeah, even if it is five thousand people, which it was like realistically, it would probably be more than that. Even if it was five thousand, yeah. that's still more than nine eleven, and. <laughs> Which was like the defining moment of the of the two thousands for sure, and perhaps yeah. even the defining moment aside from the coronavirus epidemic of the twenty first century so far. Definitely. Well, and, and at the very least for America, for I, yeah, you know, it's it. But this film is so U.S. centric anyway. Right. Like, why would you? <laughs> so you might as well like, roll with it. Like, <laughs> but no, I. But I think that's definitely true, and I think I watched that film. And all I see is an exploitation of an American fear about 9-11, mm -hmm. which I, I obviously haven't really experienced. Um, but I think that, I mean, as far as I'm aware, there still is a sense of fear around that and a sense of uh, kind of anxiety around that. Absolutely. That prevailed, which is why the war on terrorism was such a successful political tool for someone like George Bush. Um uh, uh, but yeah, and I see that being exploited by a medium that is all about like <laughs> pushing against things like that mm -hmm. and trying to like not alleviate fear, but trying to show us a way through. Uh, uh, and especially with Superman, Superman is at his best as a character when he is, this is a symbol of hope. This is what the best yeah. of the best can be. Mm -hmm. and And this film does not present that. And I get that like, it wants to do like a grittier modern reboot. That's fine. But you can do that and also still present him as a figure of hope. Right. Like by 2013, like nihilism is not cool anymore. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's 
so outdated as an idea. Like we're moving beyond this idea of nihilism being fashionable and interesting. We want to see growth and we want to see hope and showing us a whole city being leveled and then saying at the end, well, one of these guys was a hero is not that. Right. And yeah, yeah I completely I, I, agree I, with you I on think, that. Uh, and I think that's a good point too, that, you know, we, that it, the, the gritty nihilism isn't cool anymore at, at this point. And, and I think, you know, I, I think Captain America, you know, not to be all rah-rah Marvel DC sucks, but, you know, <laughs> the reason why, the reason why that is the case is because, like, you, in Marvel, like, I think DC is sort of founded on these characters who are very much sort of like, they are, it's like, it, they're more allegorical stories than they are, mm. um, you know, uh, more not to say more complex but a little less black and white morally like yeah. in dc you've got superman and batman and they're always good and they've been you know they've lost their parents and they were wrong in the past <laughs> and you know and now like they're gonna be heroes and whereas like in yeah. marvel you've got like iron man who starts out as just a rich jerk who has, uh, you know, expanded his father's empire where they made their money out of, uh, you know, uh, selling, uh, uh, you know, weapons and materials for war, um, who yeah. then has this journey where he has to learn not to be so into himself all the time. And then you have Captain yeah. America, who I think is like, I think he's sort of like the thing that they want Spy Superman to be, but he's not there yet in terms of like the way that they've set up this story whereas like in captain yeah. america we see in winter soldier there's the perfect balance between having a character who like believes in something better that america can be yeah. better and yeah. uh you know and and is a symbol of hope for the audience being put up against the powers that be which in in that mm. film are the american military and yeah. the intelligence agencies. Yeah. Whereas here, we're like somehow being told to believe that that this person who's supposed to be a symbol of hope and who, uh, you know, has been an outcast his whole life, that somehow he yeah. is allied with the forces that are driving Earth down the same path of destruction as what happened yeah. in Krypton. And it, it's a cognitive yeah. dissonance that I think makes the film not work on a fundamental level. That's exactly it. And it's this thing of at the end of the film, you know, like Superman's able to be like, yeah, you know what? I'm American. And if we want to wreck our own planet, we can wreck our own planet. Krypton had its chance to wreck its own planet rather than Krypton had a chance to turn things around and it didn't turn right. things around. I mean, I think about, I literally noted down about there's right at the end that, you know, after everything, um, Superman meets up with the, the military uh, again and says and the, the military's like um you know like we're happy to work with you again but it has to be like to help america you have to understand that and then he says look i'll help you guys again i'll work with the military again i'll shake hands with a general and i'll let him blow a thing up to help me uh, but i have to do it on my own terms and there is nothing more american than helping america but doing it on your own terms right <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> I mean, look yeah, at look at. Uh, <laughs> I mean, just like anti-mask my own turn. right now. Yeah, is it's like, literally that. 
it is though, right? And it's, I just think, I mean, there's, so there's this like DC uh, comic and there's also, I think they've done an animated movie of it called Red Sun, yeah. where it's Superman lands in Soviet Russia. And it's a kind of historical retelling of Superman as, it, you know, if he had landed in Soviet Russia. Yeah. And I think the fact that DC has an awareness of like, oh, actually, like we know this character landing in America makes a difference to who he is. Well, show us that and show us a little bit of awareness of what America is. And so having him, you know, you could even have it where at the end of the fight, the military, you know, let's keep it in Smallville, as we discussed. And at the end of the fight, maybe the military does rock up and Superman's like, dude, I got this. I don't want you to be a part of this because you're just going to cause more carnage. Right. Like, and it doesn't, maybe not quite as heavy handed as that, but maybe it ends up Superman is trying to take on these Kryptonians whilst also trying to prevent the military from causing any more like accidental damage than they need to. Mm -hmm. And, and, and you see him drawn between two issues at once, um, which could be an interesting, it could make for that sequence to be much more interesting as a, as a whole or keep the military out of it entirely. And just, you know, it, it, we don't need them to be a part of the narrative for this first Superman film. Yeah. And that conflict that you talked about that they look at in Captain America Winter Soldier, we can introduce in a later film as right. they do it with Captain America. Like, yeah. It, yeah. yeah. The, I don't think the military needs to be in this film. And I think their presence like completely undermines the, what Superman has historically represented. Um, yeah. And I mean, you know, if we're talking about what Superman represents very briefly, I think like, I think honestly, like the references to like religious imagery and setting it up as like a religious allegory, I think is it's so unnecessary. And again, yeah. like tries to turn the story of Superman into something that it's that it really is not. I mean, just like the scene where he like he goes into the church and he's like telling his problem yeah. to the priest, and then like you like they cut yeah. back to Superman and he's literally like right next to a stained glass window with yeah. depicting yeah. Jesus. It's like tone it down. Yeah. And that's like he's not he can't be infallible or he's not gonna be yeah. an interesting character. Let's go back to Smallville then. Yeah. So the Kryptonians know that Superman's in Smallville. I think like, I, you know, like we kind of talked about, we have maybe just two Kryptonians are sent ahead. We still leave Zod, you know, up in the ship, mm -hmm. you know, again, build that anticipation for his reveal as that final fight. They come down. Superman can kind of best them a bit because he knows Earth better. And he knows how to use his surroundings. He knows how to use the extra powers afforded to him by the atmosphere mm -hmm. and the sun and stuff. Um, but then Zod comes down. Zod has been observing this fight. So again, this is one of the things that annoys me is Superman says like, oh, my parents taught me how to hone my senses. Yeah. He says this to Zod. And then later on, Zod like sits down and he's like, oh, I'm honing my senses. And then he has the extra powers. Yeah, Don't like tell your minutes. villain like how to do that. Like don't tell him like, Whereas, why right. not have it where Zod's been observing this fight and he realizes, oh, Superman can do things that my guys can't because he's he's taking a moment to like use his surroundings. And exactly. His, his senses. Yeah. And then, and first of all, it shows Zod that's like, is smart. Like, because in this film, Zod is just like, he shouts and then he's like a maniac. Which yeah. is, it doesn't make for a good general. Like, no. <laughs> um. Yeah, so he's observed the fight, and then maybe after Superman's bested these two Kryptonians, Zod decides, then I'm going to come down, and we're going to have this fight. Mm -hmm. um, and at this point, 
maybe I feel like we do need a B plot where Lois Lane has this information from Jor-El that is going to be able to prevent something bad from happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Do we? Do you want to try and sort of riff on what that could be? Sure. I mean, well, you know, there in the in the current version, there's like, you know, it's it's like they're firing like like a beam in the planet to like initiate the terraforming strategy. What if it's like, you know, maybe there's some, it, maybe there's like, you know, a countdown to it, and which sort of is like rather yeah. than it's just like, oh, it's like starting to happen, I guess. Like it gives, it gives like. You know, and like the Jor-El AI is like, you know, uh, when I, you know, when Krypton, at the time that Krypton collapsed, like, I knew that Zod was working on this. Um, yeah. And, you know, he probably has it with him now. You know, we can, yeah. you can try to destroy it. I don't know. Something where it's like, you know, there's some, like, you know, because Superman is the one who has to have the physical fight with Zod because no one else is, 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 can be matched enough. In, yeah. in terms of their physical yeah. strength to him. So they're the ones who are having the physical fight and their fight is sort of representing like the, the thematic battle of the film where and then yeah. meanwhile like to like handle the actual you know destructive device thing like yeah. Lois and the Jorah are like oh well we're going to handle that while while Clark yeah. keeps yeah. Zod busy essentially. What what if um what if the thing that she's trying to present rather than terraforming, which we kind of talked about, doesn't really yeah. make sense as an idea because Krypton is a horrible place. Right. What if it's that he has that big uh, like jelly ship of uh, babies <laughs> and um, but but they're all fully formed at this point mm-hmm. and they're and and there's a kind of countdown uh, or or somehow Zod's gotten hold of the codex from Superman at some point, maybe, maybe the Kryptonians, maybe Superman's bested the Kryptonians, but actually they got everything they needed because they got his DNA or something like that. Um, you know, you know, that's a pretty simple just thing to slip in, in that first fight. And then, uh, that DNA is being uploaded and it's like, Oh, you know, it's, they're scanning the DNA and there's a countdown to when it's going to be scanned. And then all of these, uh, babies will be Kryptonians. And then suddenly they're going to burst out and take over the whole world. Yeah, I think that works. Don't need terraforming. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. just just something that like you know we're on we're on the clock, and yeah. you know, and then it also makes like the 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 genetic codex like feel like it's playing more of an important role. exactly because then it yeah. just like at the in this you know in the original version that we're looking at it just feels like this you know it's a MacGuffin that it, yeah we, we don't really it's not it doesn't really matter by the end yeah. um. You know, and, and it's it's not really brought back in like a, a a way that keeps it at the forefront of our minds. That it doesn't yeah. it doesn't feel it may be important by the end, but it doesn't feel important, and it never never feels like it's coming back in a meaningful way. Yeah. So I think yeah. I think that adjustment, like making that the thing that you know mm. Lois and Jor-El have to stop from destroying the world, and, and maybe Jor-El the AI doesn't necessarily have the solution immediately because right. Zod's been fiddling with this technology. So him and Lois, like Lois needs to give him information, feed him information, and then he can process it, give information back to her and mm-hmm. they work together in yeah. that way. And and again, it's that progression from him telling her what to do to her telling him what to do to mm-hmm. solve the the main uh, conflict of the film, the main issue of the film um, in that third act while Superman is having this fight with General Zod. Right. Um, I like that. I... Yeah, 
Uh, and I think that that makes that much more interesting. It gives us a, another thread to follow and it avoids the solution of the film being dropping a bomb on a yeah. city, which is, yeah. Um, I also love that like the, the last straw for Clark is that, that, that Zod is going to laser zap this family as if like as yeah, if the last yeah. straw of like to kill him was not like the thousands of lives yeah, that were yeah. just lost and, and again city. and this is the thing as well yeah is we're given no like there's never an implication first of all there's never an implication that superman wouldn't kill right. zod or wouldn't kill anyone yeah. so that that make being part of the moral choice doesn't make sense and there's never an implication that he would choose to save a life by killing someone else mm -hmm. like you know or that he would he would find saving a life such an important thing to do you know i think what we've done throughout the film is we've shown that him saving a life is an important thing to do and it maybe where he's come across conflict before there's been an opportunity to kill someone and he's stopped himself from killing someone because right. he understands his power yeah so then we can present a situation where zod has maybe just figured out the laser vision thing it's taken him a while and he's like I'm going to do this. I'm going to destroy this whole part of your town that you grew up in. And Superman has to decide in that moment to kill Zod. Right. He's like, I don't like killing people, but I'm going to kill him. You know, like actually give us a reason for that to be a moral choice. I think also another layer you can add to that moral choice is during their big punch up when they're talking about, you know, they're, they're discussing the main thematic issues of the film. Right. Um, Zod can say like, you're a Kryptonian like me, like, this is your chance to have a family, to not be an outsider. Mm -hmm. And Superman then has to make the, the call to kill the last Kryptonian. Yeah. Because that, that's tough. Yeah. That, and, and that's a thing that, like, I don't think he really deals with in this movie, yeah. which, which should be yeah. huge for him. Like, I think with the way that we've rearranged, like, Martha showing him, you know, be, being the key to that or opening the door to that side of himself is that, like, I'm imagining yeah, that yeah. as, like, being an emotional through line for him as he goes on the rest of his yeah. journey of, like, you know, being excited uh, yeah. to learn more about about Krypton and where he came from and all this stuff. And then having this moment, right, where, where Zod is, like, you know, if you kill me, like, you, you are killing the chance to learn about where you came from and about having yeah. having the family you always wanted. And then that's like the moment yeah. where he snaps and he's like, you know, I, I had a family. And and it's it's a yeah. moment where he has like like recognizes that even though Jonathan and Martha were not his biological parents, that they were just as much his family. Yeah. And that they're more important to him. And and, and also in, in that moment, you, you know, when when he first discovers that he's from Krypton and stuff, maybe it's like, oh, I'm going to be able to come back here and I'm going to be able to ask my father Jor-El about this or the AI that he is, right? And we can kind of build that element into it. And also this thing that, because I talked about at the beginning, making it that like Jor-El was the one who said that they should colonize elsewhere. And we can even give him, like even though he's an AI, some kind <laughs> of arc because Lois can right. show him that humans are worth saving and that Krypton has had its chance. Yeah. So then it makes sense that Jor-El would help her, um, where before it doesn't quite entirely make sense. Mm -hmm. And then you can even have it where Lois, by uh, making, you know, by making uh, the Codex shut down, is also shutting Jor-El down for the last time. Yeah. And that shadow of a person, the AI, is no longer going to exist. So again, Superman is put in this position where he's killing the last Kryptonian and with him, yes, you know, and, and by taking the codex, all of Kryptonian culture 
and the ideas behind that and everything else he could have learned about where he was from is going with it. Yeah. And this thing he's just been presented as like a whole new like part of his life is going to be gone, mm-hmm. but he's realizing how, you know, how much he cares about the family he does have on earth yeah. and the people of earth. And that gives us a reason for him to be a hero going forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man, we did it. We did. <laughs> we we finally made it work. Yeah. yeah. I just want to talk about how we wrap the film up. Yeah. So you you have the codex, you have Jor-El's sacrifice, the codex is destroyed, uh, Superman decides to kill Zod. Um, then I think <laughs> the way the film ends right now is it's like Martha Kent is like, what are you going to do now? And he's like, I'm going to find myself a job where I'm just like, a real chill guy. No one asks who I am. I'm just like a regular. I'm a regular Joe. I'm just like on the street. I'm. I've got my ear to the ground, but yeah, I'm also like you know not doing anything too crazy, right? And then it's like, and it's like, you know, him coming into the Daily Planet office, and he's looking like, like absolutely massive in his shirt. Yeah. He's like absolutely ripped. He's like a. He's just a huge guy, and then like. Um, Lois's creepy like colleague who we haven't really met is like hitting on her and then he just walks in this massive bloke like and then Lois is just like oh like seeing him like visibly like flushed and like whoa like oh that's my superman (laughs) and then he's like and he's like there in his like goofy glasses like hey I'm Clark Kent and she's like hi I'm pretending I don't even know who you are and then it's like as all of that's happening the music is swelling and it's like growing and it's gonna it's like this amazing moment and he's like and then it's like oh he's like joined the daily planet and then it comes up man of steel and it's like (laughs) and i the only comparison i have for what that moment is is like um one one time like back uh in school we had this guy who's like a an editor come in and talk to us about like how to write effectively Mm -hmm. right and he says like when you're ending a sentence when you're writing end a sentence on like a punchy word particularly if it's like a sentence at the end of a paragraph or something like never end a sentence on on the word it like you know you wouldn't say like um you know so this means this uh and that's it like (laughs) and this is what this film is doing (laughs) it's ending (laughs) yeah exactly it's ending the sentence of this film on it on like oh oh okay yeah so i mean (laughs) (laughs) What makes more sense to me? I have no issue with him joining the, the Daily Planet at the end. I mean, like, why not? I mean, but I would like, even say make it the like where he starts at the beginning of the next film. It doesn't even need yeah. to be in this one. Wait, I, I mean, it doesn't need to be in this one. But if you want a an sure. a way to wrap up, first of all, don't have the music like swell to a climactic finish. Yeah, when the climax has already happened, <laughs> like that doesn't make sense. Yeah, and then like, also like maybe make it like. Film. The fight's like over, like you know, Henry Henry Cavill. No, what is Superman? <laughs> what is this about? Like he goes to Lois Lane, you know, and and it's like you know, like oh, you know, you did a real good job back there, and she's like, well, you did a real good job as well. Like oh, this is great. Like you know, we, you know, we work really well as a team right now. That was really good. We we defeated the bad guy, and then Superman's like, man, like what now what next like how am i going to help people i don't want to reveal my identity as like has been the main conflict of this film right um, and she's like um you know what we need to get you a job and then he's like oh where's that and she's like i think i know a place yeah I and then you I end know. the film there 
you know, and and <laughs> Lois Lane like, says she knows a place, and it's the Daily Planet. I know a place. Do you like having your ear to the ground? Yeah. <laughs> Does this ever happen to you? <laughs> Sorry, sorry, listeners. I think you should leave reference. I should try not to do that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, we all know what it means, but it doesn't have to be a climactic finish, right. and it can be, it can be an epilogue. Like, let yourself have an epilogue. Sure. Like, yeah. Let us see a denouement to like this big story. Like, oh, I mean, you man. could even like, you could even make it like the. Make it like a mid credits scene or post credits scene yeah, where he's like, yeah. you know, showing up at the Daily Planet. Or yeah, or even like she's yeah, they have the little that little conversation. Then the mid credit scene is is he shows up to get this job and like maybe in the background on the TV, like they're playing footage of like his fight in Smallville. Right. And someone's like, hey, Have you seen this? And he's like, Yeah, I know, it's pretty crazy, right? Like, <laughs> and then somebody's like, You look a lot like that, dude. And he's like, ah. he's like, oh wait, where are my glasses? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he puts his, puts his glasses on, and and the person's like, oh, puts no, on hang his on. glasses. I don't know, I don't know what I was talking about. You look nothing. Yeah, like that, guy. <laughs> like, like, what, that would be such a great button, such a great in joke. Because this, yeah. this film is has, is so humorless. Oh yeah, it is. And there's a couple of moments. Um, I, I'll mention maybe one or two where he, Snyder tries really hard at doing a joke. Um, there's the bit where he goes and meets that general at the end that I already talked about and uh, and he flies away and yeah. the general looks back at his female employee oh, yeah. like, you know, of a lower rank and she's no. smiling and he's like, what are you smiling about? And she's like, I just think he's kind of hot. And I'm like, <laughs> what? <"Ugh."> oh, you, <laughs> so, know, you know when you think somebody's hot and it makes you giggle? Like, what? <laughs> no, no. Not even giggle, just, just, just smile. smile. Like, like, like no a mad person. functions that way. <laughs> again it's this that like does Zack snyder understand how humans operate i i in that moment you believe that he doesn't yeah anyway i think there are moments throughout this film to inject a little bit of humor yeah um, for sure it doesn't need to be at the forefront it doesn't need to be a comedy yeah, of course um, not. but it also it just doesn't need to treat itself so seriously yeah. like lois lane is our human eyes into craziness like make some funny out of that you know, that's the point of her to an extent as a character. I mean, I think we've given her more of a point in, in what we've done, but that is like why she is a character we follow in this film. Um, and, but, but at no point does it feel like her human eyes reveal anything new about Superman. Um, but what we need is someone, you know, like, like the, the classic example is the way that Han Solo is used in Star Wars. You just need someone who's like, are we all seeing this? Like, this is pretty crazy, right? Like, that's... Right. You just require a little bit of that and it injects a bit of humor and it lets us as an audience acknowledge our own suspension of disbelief. Right. And, and and therefore, we don't have to treat it so seriously. And it makes it... That makes it more accessible as a film. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's, like... Yeah, it, like... It, it wants to be like this modern myth, but I think yeah. know, the modern way of telling a story often requires like some sort of humor to acknowledge like just what's happening to these people. And you know what? In real life, like people cope with humor like that and like yeah. funny things yeah. do happen. It's not like it's not like, oh, to make it realistic, like no one can 
can have a humorous moment about anything. Like if you yeah. want it to be more like real life, it has to have a little. Otherwise, if like yeah. if there was no humor in real life, we'd all just like be suffering. <laughs> like like no one would be able to go on. <laughs> Someone as serious as Lois Lane cannot be an engaging writer in the way that this film is currently. No. Right? Absolutely. Whereas, like, 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 that would just be everything she wrote would be so dry. Whereas, like, make Jor-El this like AI who is slightly robotic because that's kind of how we see him on Krypton. Like, he's kind of like a bit of a weird bloke. He speaks in like right. weird, archaic terms. And then, like, I can't bounce... believe I can't believe Superman's <laughs> dad was a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> but bounce him off of a witty, like, wisecracking to an extent, Lois Lane who is willing to like laugh at the fact that this robot is so weird. Like, Yeah. And that's so much more Lois. Like that's so much more in the spirit of Lois Lane. Yeah. Yeah. It just gives her something like a reason for us to like her right. as a character. Instead of uh, just that we're supposed to. <laughs> none of these characters are likable. Like, uh, no, I, none. I don't care about any of them. Oh, <laughs> <sighs> Uh, and Man, yet I'm we dedicated so, yeah. 143 minutes of our lives to them. So, uh, yeah. uh, but I don't, I don't have high hopes for the next film uh, installment <laughs> in the in the DCEU. But no, well, we'll we'll give ourselves a decent break of doing other stuff before we come. Back <laughs> yeah, before yeah. <laughs> um, that on. But but we will come back to it. That's a promise. Oh, it's, yeah, that's a promise to you, <laughs> listeners. Yeah, the listener. Yeah, we're our, doing this for one you. <laughs> yeah. Whoever you are, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> but I think um, we've done it generally. I think I think we did it with the um, elements that that we've been given originally. Yeah, because there's yeah, plenty I, of I other so. approaches you could have taken. Just I mean, to, to yeah. begin with, but if you're gonna if you're gonna use the the elements that Zack Snyder and you know the other, uh, well, he didn't write the screenplay. No, um, it was David S. Goyer, but. I my my thinking is that probably Zack Snyder uh, like would probably still make a little bit more of an auteur approach to this and probably oh, he def- spoke very closely yeah. with uh, he definitely Mr. Did. Goyer I mean, there's, on, on and this. and there's a lot of stuff about like I, I mentioned like Chris Nolan did the story or like you know it's has a story writing credit but there's a lot of stories of Christopher Nolan being on set like yeah. closely discussing it all with Zack Snyder as they went. And I think that they're definitely, Zack Snyder would have like had his fingers in the story writing pie um, pretty early on. <laughs> Get your fingers movie. out of the pie. Um, <laughs> I, I think you're right. I like, I think there's so many different approaches, but the, I guess that would just be us writing a Superman film. Whereas, uh, yeah, I guess we kind of wanted to write our version of Man of Steel, this Superman film, if right. that makes sense. Yeah, because everybody has their, has something in their head of like, how they would do it and what they think it should look like. But yeah, you know, if we're if we're taking into account like the look and feel that, you know, the producers want and we're yeah. using the elements that were given. If like this is sort of like the version if, you know, they were like, uh, hey, uh Harrison and Caleb, uh, we heard about you. You're the best script doctors in the biz. <laughs> And we need you to <laughs> to do another pass on this film. This is how it would be. And yes, the the producer would sound like that. Like, like yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Like he's like he's like G. Robinson in like a a movie about the papers in the forties. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> See here. Hey, <laughs> we need you to rewrite this. <laughs> so, <laughs> Caleb, you're the you're the best in the biz. The <laughs> we're just biz. like. 
we're like, <laughs> we, we said <laughs> oh, no, we're not okay. writing any. We said we're never doing another pass at a Zack Snyder script. And it's like, it's only you. There's no one else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no one else. Um, anyway. Well, I, that, that brings us on to our famous segment of uh, would you do try this at home? <laughs> <laughs> would you do try this at home? Um, <laughs> I'm going to, uh, let me paint a picture for you, Harris. Yeah, <laughs> please do. It's, I mean, I don't know how long pre-production of this took, but I'm going to guess like two and a bit years. So let's say it's it's early 2011, okay? Those were the days. The MCU is, is on the rise. Kevin Feige is, you know, he's becoming, quickly becoming like this revered producer of like this huge franchise in in uh, in Hollywood. And, and DC... Um, via the Warner Brothers film studios, they want a slice of the pie. You're right. Their yeah. superheroes are on the up, and they want to, you know, they want to get their little bit of the action. And they come to you, Zack Snyder, <laughs> <laughs> and they say, "We really like." Oh, in the in the past <laughs> ones, I'm me. Nah, yeah, I think I'm changing it. Now up. we're going I'm, back I'm... in time, and I'm Zack Snyder now. Yeah, they they're like, "Hey, Zack Snyder, we really loved." your adaptation of Watchmen. We really loved that film no one watched. Yeah, we loved it so much. <laughs> Have you seen it, by the way? I've no. never seen it. I've never no. seen Sucker Punch. Who would watch it? No. Anyway, um, we love all that. We love that you're like kind of like Michael Bay, but more auteur. We <laughs> yeah, somehow. <laughs> somehow. Um, we want you to make Man of Steel... We'll let you bring your boys in to have a your look lads. at the script. Um, uh, are you going to do it? <laughs> um, I'm going to say, and my answer is going to be more cynical than it has been in the past. Yeah, I'm going to say, with, with this new version, yes, and for the money. Because I know <laughs> it's going to make a metric yeah. butt-ton of money, and then I can You're use gonna, that yeah. money to make something that isn't just about an already existing <laughs> intellectual property. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's definitely it. That's and, my and jumping like, off. You're going to do like a like a George Lucas where you ask for like just 5% of... Uh, no, Steven Spielberg even, who asked for like 5% yeah, of the cut points. of Star Wars or something. And then, yeah. Yeah, no, get it's points good. on the film instead and merchandising rights. And yeah, then, and merchandising, yeah. And that's it. And yeah, when it, if, if you ever use Henry Cavill's face again, I want like fifty percent of the profit. Yes, yeah. so that's <laughs> um, that's what I would do. Would would you? Yeah. would you make it? I yeah, I guess if we could bring, I guess for me the thing that interests me about Superman is this idea of him as a figure of hope. Yeah. Um, and I think if we could bring that in, because I think there's elements of that in this cut. Obviously, like there is a sense that Snyder is kind of slightly interested in that, mm-hmm. but he never really brings it all the way through, never sort of follow, follow through with it. Right. I think if there was a way of doing that, I would be, yeah, kind of interested in, in doing it. But like you say, I think I would be more interested in it for the money yeah. so that I could go and do something <laughs> else rather than like, yeah, rather than getting like tied into this just me- what became a mess of a of a, a shared universe that mm-hmm. that never went to the places it was meant to go to. Yeah. Um and and I think even with the rewrite we've done here, you could see that they're not going to get out of it what they're putting in if that makes sense. Like the, the in terms of like creatively. And they definitely made money on all of these films. But um 
that that like the the effort of going to building this universe just never pays dividends um right. in what we have now and i think e- what whatever way you wrote this the fact that it was coming out in 2013 after the avengers had already happened yeah it's already too the late. moment the moment to make a shared universe happen had already passed mm-hmm. um and i and i i think yeah in that sense i would I would be like, sign me on for one. But <laughs> right, yeah. Like, uh, well, yeah. let's see how this goes. Because it's it makes money generally yeah. pretty like pretty much either way. So I'd be like, oh yeah, yeah I'll direct this one and then bounce. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then I'm out of here. Like Yeah. Um, cool. I mean, that's good. We'll we'll like I say, we'll <laughs> <That's> good. <laughs> we'll we'll come back and, and do the rest of the Snyder ones at some point. Um but <laughs> I just want the other stuff for a while. Watching this was was tiring for me. Yeah, yeah, just so exhausting. So Harrison, where, where can people find you online if they want to shout at you for being a Marvel soy boy? <laughs> <laughs> That's me. Um, <laughs> yeah. It just doesn't work. I often no. <laughs> I, I joke about like me and my friends joke about calling each other soy boys, but it doesn't <laughs> doesn't work when you're not a boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Soy boy, it's not going to happen. Stop trying to make soy boy happen. <laughs> um, yeah, you can. Anyway, um, if you want to yell at me for my Marvel allegiances, um, yeah. which which I hope you do, because I'll just argue so well in favor of Marvel that I'll convert <laughs> you to my team. Um, yeah. But you can find me uh, on Instagram at Harrison Who, and uh, on Twitter at Harrison Gale, who? And I'm also on Letterboxd under my name. So just type first name, space, last name. Search under members. You'll find me. That's Harrison space Gale, not first name, space, last name. No. <laughs> yeah, just to be clear. Where can, where can they find you, Caleb? Um, if you also want to shout at me for being a beta Marvel Disney Corp straw man, <laughs> you... <laughs> Papa works for the mouse. Yeah, I don't even. I don't care for Disney much anyway. But they ruined Star Wars. We'll they did. Day. But that's um, yeah. That's well, another episode. There's a whole. That's a whole nother episode. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter and Instagram and Letterboxd at Caleb Lebster. C A L E B L E B S T E R. Yeah, feel free to like holler and and tell me that you love Man of Steel because it means things or whatever, and I'll tell you how wrong you are. <laughs> yeah. Um, conclusion well, that's is it. that we did this, it. this one was bad. Like just a oh, it was. So if you it, like, like it, that's uh, nice, this is but it's not a good movie. It's just not very much in this that's, that's promising. Um, no. And and there's there's zero depth. A lot of people argue about these DC films being better because they they're like deeper or whatever. But they're there's not. No meaning. They're not. No, there's, no, there's nothing they're to not. this. They're not. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, well, so we're enough ragging on it. We'll see we y'all do, again next time. Yeah, we did do try this at home. Yeah, if you made it this far. <laughs> that was a maybe you like it production. Maybe you liked it. Maybe you didn't.